Well, if you didn't hear me before, you're in for a treat. Let's welcome Pastor Frank to the pulpit as he brings this, this word this morning. We are grateful for him and his, this opportunity for him to bring the word. First of all, I, I want to thank the worship team and our technical people up there. They are behind the scenes and they did a great job this morning there in our worship team. And I always think about some of these things because um, here's the unanswerable question. How was worship? How would I know? They weren't worshiping me. That is the key when we come to worship. Sometimes they may not sing the song you want to sing, but the fact is we're not here as part of entertainment. We're here to entertain the presence of the living God. Now, I'm getting myself all wound up here, and I still have a little bit of electronics to do. Why? I'm not one of these guys that preach from an iPad. I, I have a real live Bible right here. And, uh, and this is why I don't preach from an iPad. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. But I have something I'm going to share with you in the message. I think I have it memorized. But I'm getting old. <laughs> so I want to have it right there. Uh, I prefer using paper, and print. I have never had my Bible or paper notes flip upside down when I was looking at them or sideways like some electronic things. But I have found a wonderful time to use my iPad to speak. And since this is neither a wedding outside or a funeral outside, I don't, wouldn't normally need it because the wind's blowing. And you ever try to hold your notes and a paper in the pages of your Bible and you're reading the scripture and uh, you maybe have half of it memorized and the wind is blowing and you're graveside? Those are one of the difficult things for pastors. That's a minor complaint. Hey, there's a good place for an iPad. Well, folks, uh, I had so much fun last week with you. I'm back again. And uh, I'm delighted to be here. But I'm sure your pastor would be delighted if I weren't here. And he could be here this morning. So continue to hold him up in prayer. I was in a seminar yesterday in Santa Maria from 9 to noon. And I looked at my phone and there was a text. Can you help me? <laughs> and I think, oh my. Oh <laughs> my. And so I wasn't sure what God would put in my heart. I texted your pastor back and said I'd be happy to do what I can. And uh, so when we had our break in the seminar, I left. And uh, I, I, it was a kind of seminar there could be some contentious parts about it. And uh, I was thinking they would come to the end. Actually, it was an excellent seminar. I had not expected it to be that good. But out of duty, I was there for our Assembly of God region in Region 1. So uh, I left before I could really get in an argument, but the leader, of our, <laughs> the leader of our seminar was a professor from our university, Vanguard University, and uh, there were some issues I would have liked to have brought up, but now I'm going to have to talk to him personally on the phone. And from what I can tell in the seminar, I probably don't have any issues. It was really excellent and good up the moment I left. And I dashed home and changed all my plans for the day, moved things to other days, 
And, uh, and, and, and to make it worse is uh, my wife was already in, in Bakersfield for a family event. My daughter lives here and my granddaughters. And so my wife came, was, came home well, I was going to our home from Santa Maria, and um, I was desperately saying, Lord, can you give me something for Father's Day? I, when I stand in this pulpit, and I know I'm a person with a sense of humor, I take this very serious. I call this on my calendar is marked every Sunday as the market day of the soul. When I first entered the ministry, I said, God, what a responsibility that you've called me to. I will stand in behind the sacred desk and I'm supposed to speak for you. Now I'm going to say some things today that God doesn't want any credit for. <laughs> he would prefer to remain anonymous, I'm sure. But I know a guy who wrote a song like that. He's the Holy Spirit gave it to him and amused yesterday and says, I think the Holy Spirit wants to remain anonymous. But I want you to know, with a sense of humor, without one, I take this serious from God's Word. I want to talk to you this moment on the subject of father like no other. I uh, grew up different than many of you and probably very much like some of you. I watched television back in the black and white days and I saw families like Oh, that's how they're supposed to be. My parents were divorced when I was age four. Started, the divorce started before that. So when it comes to fathers, my father was absent most of the time. He had custody, <laughs> he had me in, uh, custody of me in the summertime. Now, I've always thought that somebody had something against me because my father lived in Phoenix, and had me for the summer. <laughs> but it was, it was a great time because he didn't want me then either. So I, in the summertime, was raised by my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandfather was named Frank Trigg. So, you know, my namesake. Only difference was he was about six foot tall. <laughs> but my grandmother was 4'11", and so was my mother. So I didn't have a chance. Simply to say that I didn't have any role model on how to be a father. My mother's second husband was an alcoholic. He was 6'3", and he was violent at times. There's so much more I could say, but uh, that is not germane to the message this morning. Simply to say that one day when I came to know Jesus Christ, I had to find a way for me as a, when I would become an adult because I came to Christ at about age 15 with a very messed up head and mind and, motion, and emotions. And I wanted the right role model for myself, had none. You know, I didn't think that Lever to Beaver was going to work for me. I didn't know any of those people like that. 
And then Ozzie and Harriet. Now there's a family. They have fun, talk around, uh, talk, uh, talk uh, around the house all day long, and, and the dad never goes to work. Now, we know outside of their TV program, he was a band leader. But in that program, he didn't have a job. But it was fun to watch and the interaction. And so I says, you know, when I grow up and become a dad, I can be like that, where I'm the dunce and the fool of the family. That is not the picture we get from the Bible. The scriptures are very clear. There's a passage of scripture isn't that amazing? I was looking at this passage of Scripture. There's a book in the Bible named after your pastor. James 1.17. Well, maybe, maybe James was named after. Uh, well, get that straight up. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. How Marvelous that God is the source of every good and precious gift. And today, that's what I'm talking to you about, a father like no other. And if you didn't have a good history, a dad that you can respect, a dad that could be a role model, or if you did have a dad that was a role model that you could respect, let me tell you, we all have one who will make us the kind of father, the kind of parent that we can be and ought to be. Yeah, you don't know how messed I am. up I am, Pastor. Yeah, you didn't know how messed up I was either. But I'm going to tell you there is one who can transform your life. He can show you a path that you never thought was possible. I have three children. My goodness, two daughters and a son. I love them dearly. I like them as people. Sometimes we love our children because they're our children. But I actually like these people. My only fault with them is I had hoped that one of them would become a wealthy businessman and take care of me in my old age. But woe is me, oh, they're all three ministers. in case there might be one here that says, wow, he's kind of <laughs> focused on money or something. No, no, that's a joke. It's tongue in cheek. Many years ago, there was a radio ministry with a, uh, I believe it was a Baptist pastor, William J. Chapman. And that, his radio programs were on the air when I was a teenager. In case you haven't figured it out, I'm not a teenager anymore. William J. Chapman tells this story, and he got the story straight from the young man. When I say young, that's relatively, I don't know exactly his age, but, you know, he wasn't as old as I am, and that means everybody's young. This young man told him a story about how he was, and this is his words. Now, we have different words today, and today you've got to be careful. You can't always say what somebody really is because they might get offended He might have been called homeless, he, but his word is he was a tramp. That's his own word. And he was in the train depot, the central train depot in Pennsylvania, 
and trying to get, and you can tell this is a long time ago. You ready? Tapped on a man's shoulder and said, hey, could you spare 10 cents? Now today, 10 cents isn't going to change anything. So, you know, today, can you, can you spare $1,000? Uh, <laughs> or 10 bucks or whatever the case may be. And so he was panhandling. The man turned around and looked him in the face. And the young man said, to much to my shock and dismay, it was my father. He was unshaven. He was dirty. Not the father. And the father's looking. You know how that looked? There's something familiar here. And the son said, Father, do you know me? And his father threw his arms around him and began to sob, tears running down his face. He said, my son, at last I found you. I found it. You want a dime? Everything I have is yours. The young man said, I was a tramp. And I asked my own father for 10 cents when for eight years he had been looking for me to give me all he had. Can I talk to you about a father like none other? Why are we talking about a father like none other? Well, it's Father's Day. Yeah, but more than that. Paul's heard, told the church at Thessalonica in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 11. He said, we come into the house of God. We come to you and we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Not bad for an unmarried guy. Fatherhood is beyond biology. There have been many who have produced children who have never become fathers. We have a father like none other. I can tell you today there's been moments when I say, God, what could I have, what kind of man could I have been if I had a good role model as a father? And then he reminds me that I asked him for a role model. And he gave me himself. Hallelujah. It doesn't get any better. The good can get better and the bad can be transformed. All things work together for the together for good for those you see the bible doesn't say all things are good he'll take the bad and he'll squeeze it and squeeze it until a drop of good comes out of it now sometimes it's hard for us to see in difficult times what the good is there's a phrase we use it difficult to see the forest for the trees now, let me just say that if you live in the desert, you probably will never see the forest. And it won't be because, of this, because you're looking at one tree. But if you live near a forest or if you're in the forest, you may not see the whole forest because you're staring at one tree, especially if it's a redwood. It looks like the whole thing, doesn't it? Wide, tall, big, fall down, trying to find the top. But look around today. I want you to broaden your vision because we often cannot see the fullness of the goodness of God and how we can be a better father. Say, are you going to whip us and make us feel guilty about our fatherhood? No. I'm going to tell you, you've got a good father. 
maybe one on this earth, but definitely one who has created you. And I want to help you get even better acquainted with him today because he'll empower you to be more than you ever dreamed that you can, could be. Our hearts have been corrupted by our fallen nature, so we need all the help we can get. Paul reminded the church at Rome in his letter to that church, chapter 1, verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I want to tell you that God is the God of extravagance and abundance. The abundance of God's provision is amazing. Look at his creation. Now, I'm not about to start some new cult. Oh, we've got the Bible, but I want you to know I've got my key to the scriptures or the book of something. No, but I believe God wrote two books, the last one being the Bible. The one before is called, you ready? Creation. His two books do not, do not contradict one another. But there are people that have tried to corrupt both the written word and the created word. God's word is trustworthy. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Scriptures are clear in that psalm that from one end of heaven to the other, God's creation is displayed and it is perfect unity with his word. Could I say to any younger person or anyone here that is considering science, science is not the enemy of the Bible. It is not the enemy of faith. There are some scientists that are the enemy of the Bible and of faith because the facts are clear and I love it. <laughs> There's a person I'm a fan of. I don't always agree with him, but he's too smart for me to disagree with. Don't you hate that? He's an astrophysicist. And his science led him to faith in God. And he enjoys being in exchanges and debates with atheists. And he's been successful in leading many to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. People that have said, I never believe in God. I believe in the real world that you can touch, feel, and see, see and observe and scientific facts. He says, but when we, when we finally got on the far reaches of the universe, it was like looking God in the face. That's not my sermon today. That's just to say you don't have to be worried about whatever field God places you in, whether it's the law, whether it's science, whether it's politics, you can go with the power of God. It might not be popular but it will be real, it will be true. How extravagant is his abundance? John 10, 10 tells us that he provides everything we need. It's no wonder that later on in the scripture it says, steal, those that stole, steal no more. Put your trust in God. Do things honestly, clearly. He is able to do how much? More than you can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20 says, To him who is able, he's capable. Whatever our needs are. Now, 
He is not the heavenly slot machine. How many of you, like me, have asked God for something you thought that would really be good to have, and he didn't give it to you? Come on, just wave your hand at me. It helps me know you're awake. Now, it's no problem if you go to sleep. The Bible says the Lord gives his beloved sleep. I just hope he doesn't love on you too much while I'm preaching. God loves you with such an abundant love, and he's able. He doesn't say he's going to give us everything that we can lay our hands on. Let me tell you, the things he did not give you, he must have thought they were dangerous for you. Well, I don't see that. Yeah, that's because you're not as bright as God. Is that news? If we were closer, and if you'd take my hand and look down on it, I ha you discover I have a funny fingerprint. This finger here has a little circle that looks different than any other fingerprint. No, I wasn't trying to beat identity things so I could do some crime. And there's little scars running here, here, and there. Why? Because there was a day in my life when I thought the thing that I wanted most in life was a butcher knife. I was three, and I had it, and I went running through the house. I don't remember this. My mother told me this. As I ran past my father, he saw the danger, and he whipped it out of my hands, and they super glued me back together. I have scars. But I wanted that shiny knife. She says, well, I'm not three years old, and there's things I think God should have. Yeah, but I don't care if you're 75. In God's sight, you're no older than three. His wisdom exceeds ours. And he has your and my best interests on his heart. Let's understand that. He is a father like no other. He provides with such abundance, the abundance of the sky and the stars beyond. I'm sure like me, you've been outside somewhere on a starry night and it was clear and there was no light pollution from the city around and just been amazed at the universe out there. We can't tell how far away all these things are, but with science and measuring, they can. There was a president, and I'm, it escapes me exactly, but I think it was Teddy Roosevelt in the history of time that we used to go out with, set with his staff and other very VIPs, very important people, and he said, while we were out on that, on that retreat, we went outside and we stared at the skies, and then he said... Okay, I think we feel small enough now. Let's go back inside. There's a whole lot of people in Washington that need to do that right now. Extravagant. I remember the line that says, do you think that this is the only planet that has intelligent life? And I said, there's a big assumption in that question. <laughs> Took you a moment. <laughs> And someone said, well, if, 
If it is, it's a horrible waste of space. You know, we've got, we've got electronic equipment scanning space, looking for maybe a radio signal or something more intelligent out there. Extraterrestrial. And right now there's a hubbub. They're going to declassify a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe we'll learn about the extraterrestrials. Terrestrials. Got my tongue tied around my eye tooth. Couldn't see what I was saying. But folks, I don't know if we're the only ones in the universe, but I know God made angels. That's an extraterrestrial. I'd be surprised if there isn't life throughout the universe, but the Bible doesn't tell us either way. It won't hurt my faith that they find that there's intelligent life out there. I just hope they finally find some on earth. I hope they find some in Washington and in Sacramento. Or do we have the whole corner on the market right here? Abundance. God loves us. And you know, it's very possible this may be the one place in the universe that he has placed these special beings, creatures, you and I, that have the potential and the wonder of becoming sons and daughters of the Most High God. Wouldn't that be something? We are unique in his creation. That's what it means to be in his image. Your potential is amazing. It's abundant. The air, the water, the earth, the great creation of God, that declares, as the scripture says, God's nature, his love for us, his provision. It's been damaged since he created it by the first human pair bringing sin into the world. But he's a father like no other. Now your planets become dangerous. But let me tell you what I do. I will make a way of redemption, not only for you, but I will redeem this planet. I will redeem it with my power and my majesty and my own dear son and his great sacrifice. I will make a way for you to become a father like me. It's redemption. There are those, if there's anybody that should be concerned about the environment, it is Christians. But in our language, it's called stewardship. We get to use it at the same time of being concerned and preserving it. There are those that have made a religion out of the environment. They don't even understand stewardship. Let me, uh, I don't mean to be offensive here, but let, and I think I'm in Bakersfield, so I'm safe. But uh, we have something that, that brings us prosperity, something that saves the whales. What is it? Oil. Can you imagine the people out there that say, yeah, we've got to get rid of carbon. Can you? You've got to reduce your carbon footprint. Do you know what plants breathe? Carbon. What do they exhale? Oxygen. What's the problem? We call it fossil fuel. We don't really know that's what it is, but that's our best idea. 
And there's a theory that it's actually generated by the scraping together of the plates of the earth. I don't know that. That's out of my field. So that would make it a renewable energy. But if it's a pollution, then shouldn't we save the planet, drill it, suck it out, and use it all? I don't. I told you I'd be saying things that the Holy Spirit would like to be anonymous. I'm not going to blame that on anybody but me. But not only has he given us a wonderful planet, he has given us abundant life. He didn't say he just gave us life. Now, I am glad I'm here. And I don't know anything got a lot of detail, but I'm going to tell you, my mother and dad married. Um, she was 15. He was 26. They went on a date, and she came home married, and they honeymooned in the park, and I am here. That's not an auspicious beginning. My uh, impending arrival made my mother tell her parents she was married. And it was more like growing up my sister. I mean, she was 16 years older than me. Now, why am I saying this? Because I'm proud of it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not proud of it. I, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I'm just here to say, all of us have came into this world one way or another, and we have life, and that life is precious. Hey, I am so glad I was born. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm even glad I'm here now that all my joints have started to ache. In some ways, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. But I'm glad to be here but I have something better. I have life. I have life beyond this body. I have abundant life. I have life that comes through the Son of God. I have life that has been breathed in from heaven because I have been born again. And that happened. That happened in a little Baptist church in Whittier. Oh, did I lose some of you? I said Baptist. Oh, hallelujah. Abundant life, salvation. And when the time comes for me to check out here, oh, I thought the Lord would come. I mentioned that last week before I died. But if the time comes for me to check out here, I have no concerns. I will wake up in the arms of Jesus Christ. And every one of us can have and should have that assurance. And that is wonderful. I have had the privilege of living. I don't know what this world's going to do without me when I go, but I have had the privilege of being here. Abundant life. Do not confuse abundance with happiness. God's purpose is to make us like him. God promises to make us holy, not simply happy. The scriptures are clear. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is why I carried my iPad up here. I don't know if the guys can get it together, but uh, I'd ask them. I didn't type this out and get it ready for them. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. But if you've got a Bible, you might want to follow along because I'm going to give it to you from a translation that probably a few of you have heard, but maybe most of you have not heard. It is a story of how good a father can be. We call it the prodigal son. 
but the story is about a good father. But thanks be to God, if we are prodigal, we know we have a good father who's looking for us and ready to give us out of the goodness of his heart. It goes somewhat like this, feeling footloose and frisky. The feather brained young fellow forced his fond father to fork over the farthings and flew far to foreign fields where he frittered away his fortune with faithless friends, feasting fabulously. Fleeced by his fellows in folly and facing famine, he found himself, what would it be? A feed flinger in a filthy farmyard. Fairly famishing, he fain would have filled his frame with forage food from fodder fragments. Ah, phooey! My father slunk his fire far finer. The fragile fugitive forlornly fumbled, frankly facing facts. Frustrated by failure and filled with foreboding, he fled forthwith to his family. Falling at his father's feet, he forlornly fumbled, Father, I flunked and fruitlessly forfeited family favor. Oh, there's more. The far-sighted father, forestalling, forestalling further flinching, Frantically flagged the flunkies to fetch a fatling from the flock and fix a feast. The fugitive's fault-finding brother frowned on fickle forgiveness of former fodderal. But the faithful father figured filial fidelity's fine, but the fugitive is found. What forbids fervent festivity? Let flags be unfurled. Let fanfares flare. I'm not done. <laughs> and the father's forgiveness formed the foundation for the former fugitive's future fortitude. I want to tell you, it is your father's joy to love. And in the parable of the good father, look, he provides inheritance for both sons from his own resources. He risks losing things to gain his son. He looks for his son every day like that father for 18 years. And he receives his son. No matter what the rebellion, no matter what, he receives him back with joy to have him. But he never went out and enabled his sin, never went out and encouraged the sin, but he gave him a place to come home to. And let me tell you about the atmosphere generated by this father. What a dad, what a guy. It was festive. It was a party. It was rejoicing. And folks, when we see a sinner come home, that ought to be what's happening in every heart of God's people. They rejoice at those that come to this altar. Or if you lead, lead them to Christ yourself, rejoice, rejoice, not because you're a great soul winner, but because your brother has come home. And it's time for the party. It's time for the rejoicing. And also, I like this, uh, we're pretty good at this. We're two or three gathered in my name. There will be food. I think that's a misquote. But there was feasting. Everybody was celebrating except for the fatted calf. I love a barbecue. God loves a barbecue. Yes, we have seasons of fasting. But in the Bible, there are more feasts than there are fasts. How many of you can say, hallelujah? <laughs> and you know, when they made the sacrifice at the temple, that was a barbecue. The priest ate of the sacrifice. 
They had a good job. We're in Bakersfield. We like barbecues and feasts. Now, gluttony is a sin. So we get to learn self-control in a festive atmosphere. But that's not the message. The message is this, that we were feasting, and then they had fellowship. They were together. Brother outside, what do you hear? You know, there's churches, there's a, there's a particular church, God love their heart. They don't have all these musical instruments. Oh, I enjoyed the instrument you had, and your worship team this morning. Oh, how great. And, but there's a church that they won't have any musical instruments because that was in the Old Testament, and they didn't have any new. Well, why didn't they read this story? The brother heard the music. He didn't hear the singing. They were singing and dancing. And I'm telling you, the father was dancing because his son had come home. This isn't ballroom dancing. This is celebration dancing. And there's a place for that in the house of God. Oh, and there was jewelry. You know, again, I talk about some churches. And it's a sin for you to adorn yourself. You don't wear any jewelry and you don't and the women can't cut their hair and I guess you I think the definition is holy is look as ugly as you can <laughs> the father said put a ring on his finger that's better than one in your nose put a ring <laughs> I'm sorry forgive me Put a ring on his finger and the celebration is taking place. Clothes, friends. And as Jesus, as he told this story, early he said, you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. It is a good thing. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed. Holy, set apart is your name. You need help as a dad? Call on your father. Your father in heaven. You need fresh wisdom for that family? Call on your father. This is what it means to be the head of a house. I'm the head of this home. You know what? If you have to tell your wife you're the head of the house, you're not. <laughs> head of the house means you're the head stream. You are the life source of this house and you should bring the living God into your home and bring his precious grace and Holy Spirit in all your decisions. <laughs> a father like no other. It's a joy to call him father. Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, says, from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. I'm going to tell you here something. I should have said it in the early service, but we would see our, we would see our nation transformed if fatherless homes had fathers in them that knew God. We would see our nation transformed because God intended the homes. And I was a long time in a single mom's home, and my mother loved me dearly, worked hard, and it was a challenging thing. This is not a criticism. It's just the reality of life. And I know there's some men that don't deserve to be called fathers. But there are many who deserve the honor of being called fathers, not just on Father's Day. And if someone else doesn't honor you, your Father in heaven will honor you, men. Because here's your source of what it means to be a man and masculinity. 
You see, Jesus said, if you be evil, he's talking about the sin nature, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The words of Jesus in Luke 6, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Dads, we make mistakes. I remember one day, had a pile of sand that we were doing some building in the church I was pastoring. And it was hard to keep the kids off that pile of sand. And I had really barked some orders. I walked out and there was my son in the pile of sand. I walked over, whacked him one good. Found out later he'd only gone out there to get the other kids off. Well, my son is six foot, but then he wasn't. So I came down to eye level, and I, saw, I said, son, I didn't get all the facts. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And he hugged my neck. We cried. Dad, you make mistakes, and when you do, admit it. Get down eye to eye, to eye. or if they're a little more grown, son, <laughs> and mend the fences. Ah, father, like another. To call him father is to share his nature. And when I say this, as we move toward the conclusion of the altar of this message, I have to remember the first time I read these scriptures. And I was blown away. Share his nature? I got saved. You know what that means? That means my fire insurance is paid up. I'm not going to hell. Ho, ho. Well, better than that, I'm going to heaven. I've changed direction. But if you think that's all there is to it, no, you haven't read your Bible. But that's enough. Oh, share his nature? His DNA is now put into me? I am a child of the Most High God. Listen to 2 Peter 1.4. Peter says it a little longer than John says it. Peter says, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God's nature in me. Whoa. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. What a vast family. And Jesus, the Bible says, was the first of many sons. He has led the way. For God himself has made a way to embrace us in our weaknesses and our frailty and our sins. And he didn't just say, okay, come on in. He is rejoicing. And someday there will be a glad family reunion. To share his nature is to grow. <laughs> 1 John has a sequence, if you want to read it yourself, of, of spiritual growth. And you'll find it also in Psalms 23, the psalm for living. I remember a great teacher one time saying he was praying. And as he's reading Psalms 23, he says, God says, you know, you start out as sheep. And at the end, 
You're not a sheep anymore. You've been through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, I, you're going to sit at the table of the Lord forever. You're going to be with me forever. And you're not on the table. You're not mutton. You're at the table. Wow, God. Forever. And then he heard the Holy Spirit whisper, and you and I are incompatible. Oh, and he said, I hope clearly the Holy Spirit say and I don't change ready for the change dads constantly going while well, I my kids are at home and I'm a grandfather I'm a grandfather great-grandfather don't know how great I am but I'm a great-grandfather I got great-grandchildren I'm telling you there's still times I get to put input into their lives and the Bible says the progress, you start out as babes in Christ. You know, as a newborn babe, we have to kind of be pacified all the time. You can always tell your level of growth. Your logo is a Bible with a pacifier on it. Everything's got to be done my way. Oh, I don't like that we did that. But there's the next growth. There's the children of God. They are nursed and fed and watched over. Now, I'm going about to confess to you a carnal moment as a pastor. When a couple came to me one time years ago at a church I was pastoring and said, well, we're going to go to another church because we're not being fed here. Now, there's probably a good godly way to handle that, but it didn't hit me right. And I said, I'm sorry. I didn't know that you were ill and seek a sick sheep or I would have fed you because healthy sheep eat on their own. Because that's kind of mean. Yeah, I'm, but I felt real good about it. That wasn't my best spiritual moment. I'm sim simply telling you, there's a difference of being children and being young men. John says, young men are those that are actively overcoming evil. Everything doesn't have to be catered to their particular preference, but they stand for the word of God and they stand behind their church and they stand behind the leadership when their leadership is doing biblical and right things. We're looking for the good. We're not looking for the bad. And then the final stage of growth is fathers. Fathers are those who beget others into God's nature. Not necessarily biological. And let me tell you, for every Christian, both men and women, we should be fathers. When's the last time you led somebody to Jesus? When's the last time you told them of his saving grace? Took their hand and prayed with them looking into their eyes and saw the moment they were born again and their spirit came alive and the hope of heaven took over. If you don't know how to do that, he says, well, I need to get training so I can do that. You don't train a candle to burn. I think training is important. Get the training. Do it. And come into your new family lineage. God as my father. God as your father. The new birth, if you have never committed your life to Christ when we sing in just a moment. Come down to this altar and give your life to Jesus and discover what it means to have the ultimate father and become God's maturing child by the process of sanctification.
Paul said to the church at Galatia, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction, but the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. <laughs> now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we with all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Seek face time. Spend time in prayer. Not begging, asking, but enjoying the presence of God. Because the more time you spend with Him, the more you will be like Him. There was a man, like some of us. He had an uneasy relationship with God. He saw God as a stern, unpleasant figure. He loved God. He was an ardent church member. But he always felt like God was displeased with him. He could never do it just quite right. But suddenly he was prompted by the Holy Spirit to visualize what he felt about God. And so he did. He's putting together in his imagination. He's, he saw this majestic man in white on an imposing throne with a stern look in his eyes. And as he's doing that, prompted by the Spirit, God began to change his imagination. And in wonder, the seated figure rose and came down to him, leaving the throne and wrapping his arms around him and smiling with delight. And he said, from that moment on, and God held me close. It transformed my prayer life and my Christian life because I had met God, not as I had made him an idol, but as he really was. I'm going to ask you to stand with me now. And as we sing, some of you need to meet God as he really is. Oh, you're saved, you're Christian. But the joy, the intimacy is not and hasn't been there like it should. Would you redo your imagination? I'm not saying you're going to have a vision. I'm just saying redo your imagination. Redirect it. See it biblically. And understand the joy of a father. Some of you are fathers. And you just need God to impact you with a little more power to be the father you know you should be. How many of you dads, I'll say, that's me. God's dealing with me. I've heard some things today that have stirred my heart, and I'm going to be asking God to be the source of my wisdom as a dad, a father, a grandfather. Wave your hand up. Put it up there. Let me see it. Yeah. God bless you. Bless you. God bless you. Worship team. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you are perfect. 
Heavenly Father, you saw the hands that were lifted up, and we need your wisdom as dads and grandfathers, all of our parents. God, I pray for the moms as well today, but this is a special time we acknowledge fathers and the ultimate and the most marvelous father of all, our Father in heaven. I pray, God, for your grace and mercy to overshadow us. And now, Lord, as we go out of this building, may we walk in the wisdom of God our Father. May we ever be attuned in our spirit to the richness of the Holy Spirit who brings our Father's thoughts to us. May we walk in the joy of redemption that have taken a broken sinner and made them a son or a daughter of God. For we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Go with God. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word, born again, all one word, to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California. At 4901 California Avenue, we would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.